feel this is their year. They must be playing defensive. Schmeichel's not coming up for this one. Thinks he's done enough. Hello and welcome to the United Community Podcast and we are back with another Premier League Roundup and since we've been last witchy, live, Manchester United have returned. The last time we were witchy was after the 4-0 defeat to Brentford and since then Manchester United have had four wins on the trot including a masterful victory over Arsenal on Sunday. So we're going to talk plenty about Manchester United. Are they actually back and how carried away can we actually get Ten Hag is the man so we're going to talk about him and how his tactics are helping the team uh, have Manchester United got the best centre back partnership in the league at the moment uh, and how good have Manchester United signings actually been we're going to talk other teams as well we're going to talk City and Villa how many goals can Erling Haaland actually get this season but City are leaking goals will it cost them in the long run and is the pressure now off of Steven Gerrard with that result against City on the weekend? Of course, we're going to talk Liverpool as well. Uh, another disappointing, I suppose, result for them on the weekend. Are they out of the title race this early on after only six games? And have they really got an injury crisis or should they be doing better with the players they have? And of course, one of the big talking points throughout the weekend has been VAR and some iffy decisions in a number of different games. So we're going to talk about that as well. We're also going to be doing our Manager and Player of the Month uh, awards uh, and our thoughts on maybe over and underachievers in relation to transfers in and out. But before we get into all of that, of course, we're back again and we have our regular guest, Ricey, as ominous again. How are you doing, man? Great, Jackie. How are you? All good. All good. Good to have you back again, man. Thanks, man. Great to be here. So... Let's get right into it. Manchester United are back since we were la- since we were last talking, and obviously, look a a great game on the weekend. I see for everyone. Oh, well, look, obviously, Arsenal fans are not going to be too happy, but even from a neutral standpoint, you know, yourself being neutral, uh, I'd say it was a great game to watch. It was. It was. It was a very good game to watch. To be fair, I know the result is a massive result for Man United because it was the real first test say of their kind of new form newfound form they had a bad start to the season with what did they lose three on the bounce or two on the bounce two two to start two on the bounce then what what have they now three so four so lost the first two games and and then are after winning the four since yeah yeah winning the four since and i think the others were nearly one to clean sheets were they um, yeah, so we've conceded in the last four games. We've had Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester, and Arsenal. We've conceded two goals in them four games, and we've kept yeah. two clean sheets. Yeah. So, uh, besides Liverpool, that was what kind of got you over your first big hurdle. You kind of kicked on since then, you know. But just going back to the actual match at the weekend and watching the match, I did think for long periods of time Arsenal were the actual better side. Now, look, it's a results game, and results are what mattered. And United really kicked on when they went 2-1 up. But they could have easily been down. And I thought up until the point of when they went 2-1 down, Arsenal were actually playing the much more, much better, much more attractive football. Now, United were good in spells. But as I said, they really did kick on when they got that second goal. Yeah, look, I agree with you. And look, I mean, even Ten Hag said it himself. Like he did say, you know, I, I think it was a lot. Maybe not a lot. I think Arsenal were the better team. Let me put that in in the overall I, yeah. game. From neutral, but from think, a neutral, I would think that overall. I'm not saying Arsenal deserve to win it because they didn't put the ball in the onion bag as many times yeah. as we did, which is the simple fact. Well, but like, I, I think I, they were the better performers on the de- performers on the day. Yeah, and look, I think Manchester United started very well. You know, first 10, 15 minutes, I thought they were excellent. And I thought maybe the last 15, 20 minutes, they were excellent as well. So you're looking at nearly a full half of football. But in between that, I thought Arsenal were exceptional. They really were. And I said it before the game, you know, in a lot of my match previews and stuff like that on, on YouTube, that I thought the game was going to be won or lost 
between Manchester United's defence and Arsenal's attack and which one could get the better, you know, the upper hand on 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 the other one. And I just thought that United again, four games in a row now, that back four is looking absolutely rock solid. You know, and you you're talking there about say the change since the first you know, the two losses. I think the main reason why we've gone on this and look, I know it's only four games, so I don't want to get carried away either. But you know, the first, you know, these these victories and and these performances that we're seeing, Ten Hag changed the starting lineup. Harry yeah. Maguire dropped, Luke Shaw dropped. I would I would agree with you. I would say that United's defense is looking much improved. I wouldn't go as far as saying as it's looking rock solid. Just like well, two two goals see. conceded in four games. Yeah, which That's pretty rock solid. Yeah, which is doing fairly well. But like if you look at things the other day, like I seen I know one point of note was Malassia left back allowed a cross came in over his head. Saka took it down in the box, left him for dust, and actually pulled it wide of the far post when a winger slash attacker of his ability should be hitting the hitting the target nine times out of ten from there. Now probably on his weaker right foot, I think, but he flashed it across kind of the front of the goal, but he took yeah. it down and took it around him so easy. Don't get me wrong. I know I said a few weeks ago, I thought he was raw, molassy and all. He is coming into it, probably still a lot to learn. I just wouldn't go as far to say as rock solid. You're only yeah. one defeat and one calamity away from saying that that was actually a purple patch of luck. You know what I mean? You just have to... Yeah, well, I think Malassia on I think Malassia on Sunday. I think that was the biggest test he's had yeah. in the four games that we've gone on the four game winning streak. That was a bigger test uh, with Saka up against him than Salah at Liverpool. It really was. I like I I, I rate Saka. I think he's a very good player, um, and I thought he grew into the game. Malassia did. He started off a bit kind of jittery and nervous, and that that uh, I suppose incident that you're talking about there. He overread the situation, thinking that. Saka was going to lay the ball off and he stepped out and Saka just went whoop see you yeah, later yeah, that's right exactly what I'm, so that bit of naivety like they're just things that I would say and I'm not taking any credit United got their win it's just it's not rock solid it's much improved and going in the right direction but it's just not you know like well tell me talk to me about the centre back partnership then because obviously you play centre back as well and I played alongside your centre back and obviously we're at nowhere near the levels no, that we're talking I was about just here. about to say like you know what I mean who am I to be yeah, talking then then but look we're having a chat on our opinion exactly and I'm talking about a partnership here more than anything else and how beneficial a good solid partnership in your defence can I suppose be an advantage to the, to the entire team yeah, look, they do seem to be doing very well, maybe, for the last few games, you know. You just can't. It was like at the start when Martinez was a bit rash and making a few errors, you were kind of saying, don't be so quick to jump on him. He needs time to settle in. He is settling in now, but don't be so quick to come along and say they're the best partnership in the Premier League. You know, if you were going on... Maybe, if you were going are you saying at the moment, like, is in the last four games? Yeah. Like, last four games, I don't know, could you say, like, just, I'm only here for argument's sake, you know? I'm not saying they are, but, like, could you say teams who have conceded less goals than Manchester United are, like, Brighton Wolves, you know? I'm not saying they are better than them. I'm just saying you're only going Brighton, on three or yeah, four Yeah, I know. Games. But Brighton conceded two on the weekend against Leicester. Yeah, and yeah, we've yeah. conceded two in four games. Now I'm, 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 I'm a United train at the moment here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I'm, think not trying to, I'm just, I'm just trying to be as realistic as possible. You yeah, know? I'm, I'm not I'm trying not. to. I do agree they're a fantastic pair in at centre half, and like, look, Martinez, for all his height and all, he does seem to work that little bit extra hard. But it's your luck. You're like four foot three, and you are a fine centre half. <laughs> Um, you know, so. But look, the one, the one thing I think there is, is and, and I think the main, and I don't want to be jumping on his back, even even though he's not playing, is Harry Maguire coming out of that team. And I, I my opinion is, is that, you know, we seen Varane last year, and Varane didn't have a great season last year in relation to his first year with Manchester United. Yeah, he and was in and out with a lot of injuries too, though. He was. Know. But the one, this is where, this is just my opinion and what I think is going on is the fact that, Last year, obviously, Harry Maguire is the captain. He's in the 
back four playing with Varane. So Varane is allowing him to maybe call the shots in the back four, okay? And now that Maguire is not in the team anymore, it's after freeing up Varane, it's after allowing him to take charge. Every time I see him now on the, you know, on camera, when he's on the pitch, he's either pinting or he's talking or he's, you know what I mean? So he's organizing, he's, he's being that, he's being that nearly a sweeper, you know, that we would talk about before. And, you know, he's organizing the midfield in front of him. He's pulling in his fullbacks, you know. Yeah, well, look, he's, he's, he's won you know, four, four, maybe five, no, maybe four Champions Leagues with Real Madrid. Like, he's been there, done that. He's won a World Cup, I think. Like, he's, has he won yeah. a World Cup? He has. Oh, geez, he has, yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, he's been there. Like, he's been on the biggest well, stage of all, so he knows what it's about. The only thing I think that I can safely say is the whole world and their mother know that Harry Maguire is not or should not be getting back into that Manchester United team. And the only way he probably will is if one of these lads get injured. Even when he came on the other night, he looked leggy. Look, it's a tough game to come into, you know. Like, it's a, you don't really replace your centre-halves unless they're having a stinker or something like that, you know. So he came yeah. into a game in the melting pot kind of where and as well uh, the pressure of the whole of Old Trafford on his shoulders because everyone's thinking why the fuck are we bringing on this lad you know yeah, comes on looks leggy looks well off the pace takes a stupid yellow card so doesn't do anything for his criteria going forward you know but he yeah. still is your club captain like I know the captain doesn't necessarily have to play or anything but I think his United days are definitely numbered yeah, I agree with you. And like he came on the other day, and within I'd say within ninety seconds, uh, Jesus had him squared up one on one, and you could see his his defensive position was just terrible. He was too he was too kind of square on, and he allowed Jesus just to cut in on the on the on the backside of him. And all he had to do, all he done, and all he was able to do was just hack him down. Got a yellow card for it within two minutes of being on the field, nearly yeah, gave away a penalty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's a fucking fridge. I know, absolutely. But look, I tell you, I have to say, I've been very impressed with even Delo at, at the back as well, the last four games. You know, and I, my big concern what with him, and, I've and you know, you could go back and watch it. I, I've said it an awful lot of times is that I thought his defending, the defensive side of his game was very poor. But Jesus, after proving me wrong, and Ten Hag is working miracles with him. Because, he is, but that can, also, that can also lead back to things... Like what kind of training they're doing? Do you know what I mean? Like simple oh, yeah. things, like and the standards that the manager is setting. I think is Mourinho, a big. Like Mourinho, I think brought him in when he brought him in. Like they're not going to sign bad players. Well, bar maybe Wan Bissaka. I think that was a big mistake because I do not think he was ever near the standard of what Manchester United should be aiming for. Yeah, kind of understand maybe the figure on Harry Maguire was crazy, but could kind of understand why they brought in Harry Maguire. And to be fair to Harry Maguire, the year that they did bring him in, they, they, and Wan-Bissaka came in that year too, but the ship was steady. United were leaking goals before that, and they'd won the best defensive record the year the two of them came in, but I just would not rate that Wan-Bissaka. And I do think, agree with you, that Dallow is doing a decent job there. He looks a lot yeah, more and confident. Yeah, and there's a number of players there that I have to say, and, and I, I, I'm going to put this down to the manager, because... I think it was pretty clear when he did get the job that not only was he coming in and going to be given all right new players and who he wants to, to sign, but part of his job description was to improve the current players that are going to be there because we're not going to get rid of all of them. You know, like if you look at Scott McTominay, for example, he was absolutely fantastic against Arsenal. And I've been his biggest critic over the last, you know, couple of years. Like his stats on on, on Sunday against Arsenal, 100% pass accuracy, Three ground duels won, three clearances, two tackles won, one dribble complete, one block shot, one interception. 100% after, pass accuracy. It's unbelievable. 100% pass accuracy. How many passes had for those four? Oh, he had more than that. You don't, you, don't have, you don't have four passes if you're playing in the middle of the field. You just don't. You have way more. 100% pass accuracy. Yeah. I mean, that's unreal. Yeah. I'm telling you. Where you're getting those stats. Well, I got enough Statman Dave on Twitter and that lad does not lie. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? No, but yeah, even no, look, you know, even going. even like even you look at you look at Rashford for example. Like Rashford, I actually didn't think Rashford played overly well on Sunday against Arsenal, but he came out of the game with two goals and an assist. You know, and goals and assists this season he has more than Salah, 
Bernardo Silva, yeah, Phil no, Ford, no, Martinelli, no, Luis Diaz. So Ten Hag is doing, Ten Hag is getting you you know, the best out of these players. can't fault Rashford there, to be fair. He came up and he scored the first goal. I do think he almost shot his pants because he let the Ben White almost got across to him. And it took a deflection and actually went in. I do believe it was fully going in anyway, you know, but like it wasn't like yeah. the calmest of finishes. But look, he done his job. He put the goals away. And you can't fault him there. He done well. Um, he's a lad that everybody at Manchester United would probably love to see him do well. Or I presume every United fan would love to see him come good and would love to see yeah like the potential that he had years ago actually come to light. Like you know, Manchester boy feeds the hungry lads over there. You know, just you know, it's a kind of fairy tale story. But it looked yeah, like it was going towards the local lads. You know. Yeah, the rider over kind of thing. But yeah, no, yeah, look, yeah. I, I I do agree, and like, I don't know. I think I think in relation to the game itself on Sunday, I thought Ten Hag's tactics were were absolutely spawn. I I look, I have a feeling, he, he, and he and I think even from listening to him in his interview after, I think he kind of knew. Look, Arsenal are going to be the better team here, you know. So we just need to be defensively solid, you know, and go at him on the counter attack. And I think as soon as we, I I and. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put it put it out there and say it. I think Cristiano Ronaldo won as the game, and I'll and I'll explain that to you. Not only because he came on and it pushed Rashford out onto the left, but he automatically draws in two players every time he goes on the ball. And and if you look at the, the say the two goals that Marcus Rashford scored, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was nearly playing as a number eight, dropping into the midfield, and what it done was it sucked at least two Arsenal players in with him. And it just created, for the first one, it created the space for Rashford. And for the second one, it created the space for Ericsson. And I just thought it was genius, you know. Yeah. And again, he did well. He did okay when he came on. And look, if 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 he can keep him happy by doing that job, like, look, what a player to have come on. He's clearly lost that bit, that yard he's had. But his, yeah. he hasn't lost his influence or his, you know, technique or his, like, probably one-on-one finishing and all. But... What an asset that would have to a team to be able to bring on Cristiano Ronaldo for 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. If, a- absolutely. If, he, if he's kept happy. You know, I don't know. Well, Look, he has to be kept honest, happy out of January anyway. As no exactly. But just going think... back to the game there for one second, when you said yeah. he was winning, I'll just give you an alternative there. What I think, I'm not saying it was the winning, but what also could have been Arsenal kind of... What's that saying? Like the something of their own demise, like do you know, like yeah, they, they, they were they were their own downfall, almost. And I'm not taking anything from Manchester United. They did well. They were good for their win, but Arsenal. If you look for the two goals that went in, Arsenal played such a high line. They had there. Is it the final? The final goal was when Ericsson was played through, yep. was it? And if you rewatch that goal. Over on that right-hand side wing where Bruno has the ball, in close proximity, there's four, maybe five Arsenal players in very close proximity. The furthest back defender standing about a yard inside his own half is Ben White, but he's not close enough to the attacker. And coming through, who, although he's probably not the fastest player, but by his books coming through like a train was Ericsson, Ericsson. who yeah. ran straight onto a ball and there was no one within 15 yards of him and just cut it back. Now, the cutback wasn't the best and it was nearly got to it, but like, the job was done by then. But the the goal, was it this equaliser or was... No, Anthony scored the first, sorry. It was the goal yep. to put them 2-1 up when, again, Bruno played a fabulous ball with the outside of his foot. Like I think it was the outside yeah. of the right foot. Like... But they were playing a high line and he just bet them and Rashford's going to beat him for pace all day. Like when you look how simple the two of them goals came, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just one ball in around. But that that goes back to what I was saying earlier about and I don't want to be hearting back to Manchester United. Well, I do because I'm a fan and this is a United podcast. Yeah, yeah. But Varane wouldn't have let that happen. No, you'd like to you think he wouldn't. You definitely would like to think that they wouldn't let it happen twice. Now, I don't understand fully. Again, I do think Arsenal are doing very well this season. I do think that Arsenal will get top four. I'd like to actually see Arsenal keep the run going they have because I think they made some nice signings. And as I said, after watching that show, kind of 
I have a soft spot for him. I do think Mikel Arteta is a good lad, and I think he's the right man there at the minute. But I fucking hate him. Why? I hate I, Mikel Arteta. Like, I, I just think I think he's so overrated. I don't fully know what their situation is there at the minute, but may, like I don't understand why they're playing Ben White as a right full. Is it because the other two centre halves are better and they want him in the team anyway, or are they actually missing a right full at the minute? Well, they have Tommy Asu. Is he injured? I don't know now. These they're the rifles could be injured. They have I don't think he is. No. I don't think he is. No, he may be. He may be, but um like if you're having to play if you're having to play a centre back as, as your backup right full, you know. You know, and I do and, rate and Ben White. I do, I do think Ben White is a decent footballer, but just as from playing centre-half myself, you could play centre-half, but like I, I'd be, I'm not saying I'm a good centre-half, but I'd be a terrible right full. Even though the positions are yeah. so close to each other on a the pitch, they're completely yeah. different. Yeah, well, I played both, and they are completely different. You know what I mean? Completely different. Because, and, and it all comes down to maybe the reading of the game and, what, and how you see the game. If you're playing centre-back, you can see everything, basically. Yeah. You know, but if you're playing right back, you have no idea what's going on at left back or left midfield or, you know, the left forward or whatever it is, you know. So it is a completely different game. I just feel with Arsenal, they're just going to do an Arsenal on it. I really do. You know, when when the, when the shit hits the fan, when it comes down, like October for them. So from the 16th of October to the 5th, uh, or sorry, to the 7th of November in the Premier League, they have Leeds, Manchester City, Southampton, Nottingham Forest, Chelsea, and Brighton. And we'll see what they're made of then. Yeah, we will. Like, um and it's a tough run, and every team is going to get every excuse me, every team is going to get a tough run. But I just think like they could have got a draw at the weekend, you know. If their ship had been a bit tighter at the back, they could have got a draw. They played fantastic football. And they're they to pull the trigger too early and make changes. If they had got the draw. That like what an unbelievable start! It's still a great start, still a great start. Yeah, but look, no, every team's going to go. Every team's going to have that tough patch of games at some yeah, point. Exactly. You know? And look, I'm just listening to a lot of Arsenal fans in the build-up to it. You know, and you know how great of a start they've had, and we we had a terrible start, and we're only three points behind them. You know, so there, there's also a bit of like yeah, right. banter involved, and you have to understand, like, of course, I have friends that are Arsenal fans, and like in recent years, they haven't had a massive amount to cheer about so suddenly when you're seeing this nice new squad coming in lovely football being played in your top of the premier league after the first month like you have to start to get a bit excited you know it is football it is the team you follow you know exactly and i'm getting excited at the moment after four wins like, you know what what mean? So, so it, it's, exactly. it's just what happens so who have united next like man united have palace away palace. like your yeah. whole bubble will be burst if you go to palace and lose one nil Oh yeah, and look, I'm under I'm under absolutely no illusions here. You know, I do know I I'm just I'm basking in the in the fact that we're on a good run at the moment, and I know it's not going to last forever. And you know, this is a developing team, and you know, Ten Hag is only in the door a wet week. But I what's getting me excited, and I, I do know we're going to have stages where we might go maybe two or three games without a win, and and it is going to happen, but. The one thing that's filling me with confidence is how much we've improved in such a short time under Ten Hag. And I think if we can continue that upward trend even a third of the way it's after going in the last maybe three weeks or so, I think we'll be back to where we want to be a lot quicker than we expected. You know? Yeah, just look, just keep plugging and plugging away. As they say, just take it one game at a time. But going to the actual game itself, your new hundred million pound man, Anthony, what a yeah. debut! He looked very happy. He looked like he was a boyhood Manchester United fan kissing that crest. Yeah, he did. And you know what? I was watching him early on, and he looked he looked like a player that had a bit of nerves the first maybe five or ten minutes. Um, what a clean goal! Like just... Yeah, yeah, but do you know what I thought the changing of it was for him? Is he done that little kind of side-heeled ball down in the corner? He was closed down by the two Arsenal defenders. And is that, you know when Ronaldo is running on the ball and he kind of cuts inside and hits the ball in behind his forward leg? Yeah, he yeah. kind of done that little kind of side-heel to give it back to Delo, and the crowd cheered. And after that, he was 
he was safe as houses. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he, uh, what I liked about him was he's, you know, and you can see it with a player straight away. As soon as the ball is given to him, he's not looking to give it to anyone else. Well, it's not that he's not looking to give it to anyone else, but he's instantly, his first thought is to go at the defender, you know, and to be on the front foot and be positive. And I, think, I, I thought, think, he, I thought I, he was brilliant. Yeah, I think he could be what G thought slash hoped Sancho might be. Yeah, well, the one he thing, the one difference. He looks tricky. He looks fast. Yeah, but it, the the one thing I'd say about that spot is the fact that he's a left footed, right sided player, and we've desperately needed that. Uh, you know, the you know for a long time now. Well, but obviously he, Mason Greenwood w- was he, there, and yeah, when you would have brought in Sancho, would your hope of being that he was that type of player on the opposite side? Yeah, well, what you have to say there is that different managers bringing in players for different reasons. Now, yeah, Sancho yeah. was brought in because he primarily played down the right-hand side for Borussia Dortmund. But he is a he is a right-footed player. And the modern game now, a, a lot of these top teams are playing inverted wingers, where you have a right-footed left midfielder and a, you know, a left-footed right midfielder. And Sancho came in with all the intentions of being a right midfielder, but he was quickly... He, I don't know if it was Sancho that himself wanted to go on to the left or he, he ended up being used on the left. Ten Hag certainly is going to play him on the left because, you know, it's uh, it, that's where he's played in the last four games. You know, and I think Ten Hag wants them inverted wingers. He wants a right-footed yeah. left midfielder and a left-footed right midfielder. And, and I think the, the proof is in the pudding in relation to how long we stayed in and we stayed going for Anthony, we shouldn't have paid 100 million for him. It's way too much. I don't care what anyone says and how good you are for an Eredivisie player. We could have gotten for half the price if we had acted early in the transfer window. But the fact that Ten Hag kept insisting to the board and kept pushing for the transfer to be done means, one, how much he needs him and two, how much he actually rates him. You know, So for them reasons alone, I'm confident in the signing. He looks like a chap that has bag loads of confidence even just you know he doesn't look phased he doesn't look starry eyed when he comes out onto the pitch you know he looks cool calm collected I think he's going to be a good signing you were confident also though that Frankie was coming he's still coming is he I don't know to be honest with you like I I think Manchester United were confident you know and that's what was giving me confidence and I mean it was and in fairness I, I have to say I've got a lot of respect for the man the fact that, he, and not not because he didn't move to Manchester United, but but that he stuck to his guns with Barcelona and refused to, you know, to be yeah, taken advantage going, of. Going back on that point, like I'd say, you were you were kind of the thing that was giving you confidence is you were like, if Manchester United are staying in for him, that is giving them a sign that he wants to join. I'd say, if I'm deeply honest, that he never had any intention of joining Manchester United. Well, it's either it's it's either that then or he was blowing smoke up ten hags arse because supposedly do now look you you have to take everything with a pinch of salt and what you're hearing in the media, but supposedly ten hag was in contact with him, you know, and got good vibes off him and stuff like that. But look, we've seen that at at a you know a Sunday league level that you know you're going to sign for us this year. Yeah, I'll definitely sign. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then he turns on me arse ever signing for you. know that kind of a way. So. Yeah. You, you just don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if we're back in again for him. Um, maybe not January, but again next summer. He, I mean, he's he's been sitting on the bench at Barcelona for the first couple of games of the season. As anyway, so um, I'd say Xavi is getting getting a bit of pressure put down on him by by the president or whoever it is over there saying, "Listen, we wanted him out. He dug his heels in. He's not to play." But yeah, yeah look, I mean, they're look, a rotten club anyway. But look, they are a rotten club. But look, do you know what? I mean, I mean, we're talking about transfers. I mean, what what an unbelievable signing we got for free in Christian Eriksen. He's, yeah, he's just been an absolute breath of fresh air. So he has, and you know? and even that game just gone is is the first glimpse I've seen of the old Bruno. I'd say in twelve months, you know, he yeah. Well, I have to say the last three or four games since the Liverpool game, the one thing I'd say about Bruno is that his energy levels have gone through the roof. That he's just been everywhere, and I think the captain's armband 
on him is probably doing a lot of that to him. Uh, yeah. And and what I've also been happy about with Bruno is the fact that he's getting these Hollywood passes out of his game, these fucking 60, 70-yard passes. Uh, now, look, he still does it every now and again. He done a back heel in the middle of the park um, against Arsenal the other day, and I was absolutely screaming and shouting at the television. But I will take them one or two little things in a game all day, if we can get that Bruno Fernandez, I mean the ball for Rashford's goal was just sensational. Yeah, you both, know what I mean? Both, look, both, both balls, the the other ball, even though it's a simple ball for Ericsson. Yeah, it was. I'll take that right, every day. It was, it was a beautiful yeah. ball. But just going on to this, say first of, we have a few controversial points, not only controversial with refs and that decisions. Just going on from a Manchester United, I'll give my point on it. Then I presume they may be similar. On the Martinelli goal being ruled out. Yeah. What would you think? I mean, I don't need to take my Manchester United hat off here. It was a no. foul. Foul, yeah. It was a foul. It foul. was a foul. You know, and, and, 100%. 100%. And, and I even heard Ian Wright talking there on Sky Sports and, like, obviously, massive Arsenal fan. And he goes, he was like, I didn't actually pay too much attention at the time to the foul because I was so excited to see Martinelli being played through and then so excited yeah. to see him score. Do you know, he was jumping around. He goes, but when the dust settled and all, and I look back on it, he was like, it was a definite foul. Definite foul. The only thing I'm surprised at is the referee was five, six yards away from it. How did he not blow that in real time? Like, Well, that's the that's the argument that everybody is having now at the moment in relation, yeah, oh, to, is it? Is it? In relation to VAR, is that... And the other one, and we sure we might as well discuss VAR. We'll we'll segue into VAR now because the other one was the the West Ham goal that was ruled out for Mendy, the goalkeeper coming out and you know trailing leg just touched off his arm. He went out. He was already on the floor, but he rolled around screaming. Went back to VAR. Ref disallowed it, and the referee was in an absolutely perfect position for that. And the exact same way the referee for the United Arsenal game was in a great position. And the argument being put forward was, is that if these referees are doing such a good job on the field to be in the right position at the right time and make a decision on the spot like that, when they're going back and looking at VAR, they're seeing a camera angle that's giving them the exact same vision, field of vision that they got when it was live and they saw them saw it themselves. So why are they changing their mind on it? So that was the argument, and a lot of a lot has been said now about the fact that if you slow something down, if you slow something down long enough, it'll look like a foul, you know. But if we take him, if I'm going to take the, you know, the incidents, you know, singularly, I think the, I think the United, I think the Arsenal one was a foul. Now it was soft. I will say it was soft. But when you go in and shoulder into the back of another player without touching the ball, it's a foul. You know what I mean? It's 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 simply a foul, you know. Now, on the other side, and this is going to sound for anyone who's not a United fan listening, I think the goal that was disallowed against West Ham was disgraceful. It was absolutely disgraceful how that goal was ruled out because the the, the player jumped over the goalkeeper and his trailing right, toe, yeah. big toe, Connected with his elbow, I, I don't very even, lightly. I don't even know what the. I don't even know what the goalkeeper, to be honest, was. Um, what was he doing? Doing for like, but like, bar even going down. It's like as if when you make a big error and then you're like, yeah, oh shit, I have to, I have to make up something here. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And, I don't, like, really, I don't. Out, to be honest, I don't like that goalie. Um, personally, oh. no, I don't know him personally, but you know, I think he's very erratic. He's not great with his feet. He punches a lot. He'd be slapping, flapping. Yeah, well, he came out there. He came out and he palmed the ball down. Right I don't know what he's doing. Like, he was so low down. You'd think maybe try catching your chest. Look, it's spur the moment and all that. But like, uh, what a finish from the goal as well. From was it that like corner or something? Yeah. And as, and as well with the other one, there was one for Brighton as well. Uh, oh, I can't remember it. Um no, I can't remember. Oh, but that's Brighton, the argument. Scored a screamer. Now was this loud? It was a screamer. I w- it was blown for offside. There was actually an offside in that from a lad that kind of made an attempt to get a ball. He made an attempt, I think, to kind of throw a bicycle kick at it, but missed it. Came out and some lad McAllister. Um, that's it. He's, he scored a brilliant free kick a few minutes later. Then, yeah. Um, but the other one was then with with Aston Villa and Coutinho's goal was disallowed for an offside, and. What happened was 
is that the second phase of play, the ball came to Coutinho and he buried it. But in the first phase, the linesman put the flag up for offside and it wasn't an offside. No, it was and, Yeah, yeah. And the, the rule of thumb is, is that the phase of play is to be allowed finish before the referee blows the whistle. But the referee blew the whistle before the phase of play was done. And Coutinho, as the referee was blowing his whistle, stuck it in the top corner. Yeah, but to be fair now... The City players, I'm not saying they would have stopped it. They all stopped. They stopped the second before Coutinho kicked it. The goalie didn't even yeah. move. Not that he might have saved it anyway. I don't think a player was going to get a block in on it. But like, that's What's your could... opinion on VAR? Let me ask you that then, in, in general. I mean, it, do you think it's better for the game or do you think it hinders the game? Should it be there or should it be gotten rid of? No, I think, look, I think now the draft are putting so much effort into it, I think it should be here. I think it's the people running VAR. VAR itself isn't going to be wrong. It's the human error part that is wrong. You know? Yeah. Should like, they be getting should they be getting next players in to, to do VAR like in the background? Because that was an argument that was put forward. I read today that's you know ex players to be you know should be brought in. And well, if they're bringing, in, if they're bringing in VAR, look, it's easy saying hindsight, but VAR should be black and white. You know, it should be foul, not offside, not. It shouldn't be like coming in. Like I see every Monday that like Dermot Gallagher, he comes up yep. with different theories every Monday just to suit the agenda, mainly to try and defend referees. You know, like. I don't believe in all that. It'd be a horrible job for him now to come on and he's getting scrutinised saying, was this a yellow card? Was that a red card? And he can't be always going against the refs, you know? But, like, I don't know. The whole thing with VAR is, like, I think that if VAR was gone, I think referees will be in a 10 times worse position than they were before VAR came in. Yeah. I, I know just, what you if mean. That I, I know what if you that mean. makes sense. They'd be yeah, in a worse so... position than they were previous to VAR if they got rid of VAR now because people seen how well VAR can work. Like, put it this way, one set of fans is always going to be happy with VAR, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get you. So, like, if, if, if VAR wasn't there and the referee got a decision wrong, a set of fans is going to be upset with the referee. But if VAR is there and it makes a decision the other set of fans are going to be unhappy with that decision because VAR is there. Yeah, so you're, you're still never, you're still going to have one set yeah, of fans that are unhappy. But the only thing is, I do, I, I, I don't think that with VAR in that so many decisions should be getting wrong. Like I was listening to a thing on Sky Sports earlier on. That strike that was ruled out for, I think it was an offside or interference with play or something for Brighton took four and a half minutes with yeah. VAR. Four and a half minutes, like. That's players waiting around, standing there going, is this a goal or not? You could have a chat about what happened last weekend, you know? Like, like not like you were out in the town last weekend, you'd be having a chat with a lad. That could go on for four minutes, you know? Like, yeah. Like four and a half minutes for a decision to be made like that. The more well, well, it, yeah. the more you'll convince yourself of something you want to believe, if that makes Sense. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, we'll wrap it up. We'll move on. But what I would say about this, I think, and I think you're right, and, and what you're kind of trying to say is that it's actually not, VAR is not the issue, is that the actual rules are not defined enough. Yeah, or it's the people running VAR because they're the ones that are saying to the ref that penalty's overruled. Then the ref who has given the penalty has to come out and say, right, that penalty's overruled. Is that how it works? Or does he go on the screen himself? So basically, the referee makes the decision, but the the VAR referee in Stockley Park in the background says, uh, we've reviewed you know, that incident. Uh, we're going to refer you over to the monitor to have a second look at. But it's yeah. still the referee that makes the decision, the on-field referee. you know. But the referee in Stockley Park will give his opinion on what he's seen as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it, but it's the ref on the field that will decide. But we've seen it all the time. When the referee goes to the monitor, it's it's overturned. You know what I mean? It, it the referee now you could see you could see the referee with United and Arsenal on the weekend. He did not want to change his mind. He looked at that a long, long time, and he was saying, "Oh, I can't change my mind here, can I?" You know. But eventually, he did. You know. So look, it's up in the air. I look one bad weekend, and VAR is instantly. You know, being talked about, being thrown out the window, people want it gone and stuff. I think it it's here to stay, and I think it should be here to stay. 
But anyway, look, let's move it on. We'll talk about yeah. Man City Villa game. Uh, obviously, you know, a disappointing result for Man City, but a great result for Aston Villa, you would have to say, uh, with a, with the one all draw. But again, we've seen, and we mentioned this on previous podcasts, De Bruyne with the assist, Haaland with the goal. And I think it's going to be a combination we see an awful lot throughout the season. I mean, Haaland is just like having the cheat code to FIFA, really. He's so good. Like, um, 10 goals now in six games already. Like, he could easily have 20 goals scored before the World Cup rolls around uh, in November. Um, But we're going to put it out. I'm going to put it out to you. How many goals do you actually think he can get this season? It's tough because I just looking at his record, he's prone to injury. Um, like, can I say if he stays fit, like he's, yeah, he should be hitting thirty plus. Should be, you know what I mean? I think he would think anything less than that. I wouldn't say a failure, but it's like, you know, he'd be probably would, he he would probably see that as a failure for himself. He was fuming when he came off when he got taken off the other day. He was fuming. Yeah. You know, just do you think do you think he'll break Salah's record, thirty two goals in the league? He's he's nearly a third of the way there already. Like I know, I know. We're not, we're not, we're barely in September. I know. I'm just looking at his fixtures here. He has Tottenham coming up, Tottenham Wolves, United, Southampton, Liverpool. Like it's it's not even as if I wouldn't even be only saying, oh, he has an easy fixture coming up. I'd say, that man can score goals anywhere. You know, he just. He lives off the shoulder of the defender. Like, like that goal was such a good ball in by De Bruyne at Lake. But he was yeah. just there on hand just to tap it in. Do you know the slightest yeah. touches? Do, do, do you know what? I, do you know what I think? I think he fucking should have more. He could. He should, he should, he probably should have close to fifteen goals. The the in the game on the weekend, Kyle Walker. All he had to do was square a ball to him, and it was a goal. There was a uh, there was, was one Phil Ford when Phil Ford Phil, never pulled it back. Yeah, exactly. So that, that should have been another goal. Uh, and look, he's missed a couple of opportunities as well that he'd be disappointed with. I think, I think, and I agree with what you're saying in, in relation to if he stays fit. I think he will stay fit because I think City is a different level, you know. And I think, you know, a lot of them games, Carabao Cup games, maybe putting FA Cup ties, he'll be rested. You know, whereas if you look at maybe when he played with Dortmund, he probably played nearly every game, you would say. But I think if he stays fit, I think he could get 40 goals in all competitions. Yeah, sure, I'd say anybody could think that now, you know, especially when the way he took off, like, yeah. he looks like he's built different, his spe- his speed, his awareness, you know, he just, he, he kind of looks like he likes... He enjoys to play in off the left, so he's coming in as left foot. You know, kind of say between the, if you're playing a left forward between your right full and right center back, but like yeah. he can pull them right across as well. It, did you see? It was last week's game where his first goal, where a ball was whipped in, he was playing. I think it was that guy that got your, got Nunes sent off. That big center half was tr- half trying to manhandle him. And you can see, actually, as he gets out in front of him, your man nearly has the jersey torn off him. That centre-back for Palace, is it? Um, was it, did Nunes get sent off for Palace a few weeks ago when he gave your man the head? Oh, he did, he did. I can't remember your man's yeah, name. Anderson is your man's name, and he was winding him up. They were playing Palace then a couple of weeks later, a couple of games later. Your man, there's a goal that's whipped in near post, and Haaland just gets out in front of your man, outstretches his long leg, and smashes it in with a left foot kind of volley but your man is nearly tearing the jersey off him and Haaland it looks like he doesn't even notice that your man is there you know he's a unit yeah yeah look I think he's I think he's unbelievable uh, as much as I hate to say it I do think um, though slightly I personally probably gave City too much credit at the start of the year he probably is papering over cracks at City slightly because City are struggling to keep a clean sheet and the main reason I know that is because I have City defenders and a City goalie in my fantasy football team yeah well that's the one that was the next point I was going to bring up about City is that in the Premier League this season let me see now so we've had they've conceded right in the last few games if we go back right so they conceded one today okay they didn't concede that against Nottingham Forest they conceded two against Palace we're playing Barcelona in a friendly. We won't count it. They conceded three against Newcastle, you know. So 
they are leaking goals at the back. And I mean, you would think, I mean, they're not, they they, they don't have injuries. Do you think it would cost them? Like, obviously, because we're saying there now, and we're going to get on to Liverpool in a minute. But, you know, Man City having this lead on potentially the only team you would say that can potentially challenge against them is Liverpool. With, with City conceding goals in games like this, do you think it would be a worry and it might catch up to him maybe later in the season? Well, it could if the likes of Arsenal these keep pressure on him, you know. Like, it's hard to say if anything is beyond Liverpool, but like, the kind of form they're on, as much as I'd hate to say it, the league title looks beyond them now anyway, you know, especially with the injuries that they're carrying. Like, they don't have massive squad depth. Yeah, they look very good attack. They have a solid defence when they have everyone fit and when their defence is on form. But you look at City. City, like, I read Jack Grealish, think he's a great player and I'd love to see him do well, but he's essentially a £100 million cheerleader, you know? Comes on for a cameo here. And like, and that's not put, doubting his ability or anything. He's unbelievable footballer. But he just comes on for cameos here and there, you know? Like, City definitely... He'd be very expendable to City, you know, if he was to go where he could be a massive player somewhere else. They have that much squad depth that players like this get cameo appearances, you know? Yeah, and that's on top of them selling Raheem Sterling as well, you know? Yeah. Um, But you look at the likes of Alvarez that's there as well for City. Like, he's going to get, he's easily going to get 15 goals this season as well. Never, genuinely never heard of him before he came. Never. No, never heard of him before. And that's what we were crying out for with United before. We were saying, right, we're going out and buying these players. And now, look, I think the signings United have made, I think, have all been good. You know, even the likes of Casemiro, but he hasn't started yet. But we were saying, right, you're spending 60 or 70 million on Casemiro. Where are the players like Alvarez that City are signing or like Luis Diaz that Liverpool are signing under the radar for, you know, cheap money, but that are unbelievable players? You know, where's your scouting system? You know, obviously Manchester United have scouts all over the world. What are they funneling it into, you know? Uh, and is, is it coming into a central system where someone is picking, is this not good enough? Let's go get them now. You know, but I think City and Liverpool have been unbelievable in that regard in finding yeah, these players. Fair, and whoever the backroom team there for scouting is, is unbelievable. City, yeah. good, but not so good. They just kind of throw money. Like they went out there, bought a centre half, don't know who he is, bought him from um, Dortmund for 20 million, 17 million or something. Yeah. There on deadline day. Like, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think City even have a recognised left full. You could call Joe Cancelo a left back, but he's his best position is definitely right back, wide right. You know, attacking that side. Like, yeah, you know, you think a, some of the biggest of the, in the world would have a natural left foot player as their left yeah, back. But, so Zinchenko, they played in the first few games. Nate and Ake played there, centre half yeah. in that left full. Yeah, and like I mean. But, but in saying that, though, I have to say there's a lot of players that City have signed that I would have never heard of before. You know what I mean? Like, Rodri, well, I did hear of Rodri, but I was saying to myself, you know, is he going to be as good? And he turns out to be an absolute worldly of a player. You know what I mean? The likes of uh, Diaz at the back then as well, and players like this that you'd be thinking... Now look, I do know, and you have to you have to give the likes of Guardiola credit. He's bringing these players in, and he's he's improving them drastically, and he's doing it quick, fast. Yeah, well, Diaz you know I mean? was so, a, well, Diaz was kind of. I think he came from Benfica, but he was a big name at the time. I think he had won that Nations League playing centre half for, um, yeah, Portugal. So there would have been a lot of spotlight on him, you know, just being with Chris with Ronaldo and that team winning that, um, and he did come for big money as well. Like these lads. Like City were throwing out fifty millions there for right backs, left backs for for a long time, you know. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Gerard. Then is he is is um and we'll keep it quick because you know no one likes to talk about Gerard on the United podcast. But um, is the pressure off him? I don't think so. I like. I don't think he's in immediate danger. But I just I thought from the start of the season like he had a poor run of games last season the border financially after backing him to the hilt you know like anybody he wanted he got and um he like i don't know he played i was just actually keeping an eye on them in pre-season and he played a lot of a different style in pre-season 
He was playing like um, with two up top. He had Danny Ings, and Danny Ings was banging in a few in preseason. Now he kind of reverted to the same tactics he had last year, that 4 3 3, and brought Ty- Tyrone Mings back into the setup. Um, like, I just don't know. Like, your man Bailey at the weekend got a start, scored a cracking goal, but he was being overlooked a long time because he's an out and out winger, you know? So he didn't really suit that system when they only play one up top. Exactly, exactly. And and the likes of Bailey there, for example, like I have him in my fantasy and, uh, you know, like there is players that are after coming in there that have, have that you would be expecting to do a lot more, you know, and obviously Gerrard is going to have to take the flack for that. Do you know how I'm going to give my honest opinion on it? I think he's overrated as a manager. I have to say like, OK, he went to Rangers and he broke the 10 in a row for, for Celtic, but I mean, he okay, he had one very good season with Rangers and he didn't do well in Europe uh, at all for them. He comes to Aston Villa and he hasn't set the world alight, really. And like you're saying there, he has been back. He's been given big money. Yeah, his name will carry a lot of weight and deservedly so. He's one of the best midfielders of all time. Whether you're a United fan and you like that or not, he is. He might have a Champions League. He has everything else, you know, and he's an absolute Liverpool idol. Um, he was unbelievable as a player. Players want to play from, you know, like they would never get the likes of Coutinho or these lads. They signed that by their center mid. Was it from Marseille? I can't think of his name now, but United that were in from as well. Before any speculation even got going, he had said he wanted to play for Gerard, signed for them. But the only thing is now these lads have to repay him kind of and do it for him. And I'd say these lads are coming in on big wages to him. By just looking at the fixtures here and Aston Villa, he's not too bad as in he has Leicester away, Southampton at home, Leeds, Nottingham Forest. He has Chelsea then. But then he goes to Fulham, Brentford, Newcastle. So in the next 10 games, Manchester United and Chelsea are the kind of only top four sides, say, you know, mm. that he is playing. So he could, he could be he okay. Needs to, he needs to go on a run. Like he did very well against Man City at the weekend, but they're not the games he needs to be winning. You know, he yeah, needs to be yeah. beating the teams around him. Like, yeah, it's great for morale and great to take points off the very big sides but you just need to beat your own sides you know there's no point going out and beating Man City and then losing to Leicester I know you need to be beating the teams around you that you're going to be challenging with throughout that's you need season. to be taking points off you know because it's a kind yeah. of them games are six pointers I get you I get you just, well, let's talk about his compatriot then and, and a, a player that he was I suppose he came up against and that he was put in the same bracket of throughout his whole career and that's Frank Lampard and Frank Lampard got a good result against Liverpool on the weekend, obviously, in the in the Merseyside derby. Nil, think, nil all draw. I think no Liverpool fans were expecting that to be an easy game. And looking back on it, a draw realistically probably was the fairest result. Um, Two unbelievable goalkeeping performances, you yeah, have to say. Yeah. Liverpool could have won it. They hit the post, they hit the crossbar. Um, Nunes hit the post, Diaz smashed, or hit the crossbar, Diaz rattled the post. Then down the other end... Um, keeper Allison pulled off an unbelievable save there from that new striker debut they signed from Brighton Mopai or whatever yeah. you call him but it was it, it was an exciting enough match but again I don't know are, just are, like are, are, Liverpool, are Liverpool out of the title race? I would hate to say they're out of it but I think like speaking realistically it's, it'd be very, very, very difficult for them to win it now. You know, I wouldn't like to. So complete, I wouldn't like to completely rule them out anyway. They're six points behind Arsenal. I know it's and just they're five behind City. I know, and it's very early doors, and it's good to see that the likes of City are dropping points as well. Do you know, it would be crap. It would be terrible. It'd be crap for the Premier League if City were now on maximum points, had not dropped that, and everybody be thrown in their hat. You know the way Haaland's going, and if they were throwing them in. But if you do look at Liverpool, just coming to say the injuries, like if you look, if Thiago, Naby Keita, Henderson injured, that could be potentially a midfield three. You know, they had to start the weekend with 37, I think he's 37 year old James Milner, who is a great player, but like not a player you want to necessarily be starting against your Man City's and your, 
you know, these bigger sides, but like again, they have to come, they have to come to him. Um, I think at the back they should be all right. Some of the lads haven't had the best start to the season, but that can happen every player anywhere, you know. Yeah, uh, and I Robert's think I think it, I look, and I, I I don't well, I, it's not that I don't like Hart and Bagan, I don't really care because it's Liverpool, but they're missing Sadio Mane big time. They, I think they really are. I mean, like okay. Salah was the man to get you the goals all the time and, you know, unbelievable goal scorer and his record and his numbers are absolutely out of this world. But if you look at a lot of the games that Liverpool have played, the big games over the last, you know, four or five years, since Klopp has been there, like Mane has been their best player, you know, eight, nine times out of ten. Uh, and I think they're missing him. I just don't think you can, you know, you can replace a player like that. Now, look, don't get me wrong, that young Diaz is, is a fantastic footballer. Uh, Nunez is yet to prove himself. Um, it it is a killer maybe... also. Like, Nunez getting suspended in the first, second game of the season, banned for five games. Like, that's a real killer also. You know, your 90, your 80 million pound man is gone for your first few games of the season. And I know people are laughing, saying, oh, he's only the new Andy Carroll or he's a foreign Andy Carroll and all this. He did look lively enough the other day. Like, He's lacking that bit of match practice too because he was suspended for the games, which is completely his own fault because it was absolutely ridiculous what he done. But I also would say, like, give time, you know? Give time. I I don't know, what's that new centre midfielder they got? Burn, something mellow, is it? Or Yeah. From Arthur Mello, is it? That's I right. Know, I don't know a whole lot about him. I remember seeing him at Barcelona. I, I don't really know a whole lot about him. Like, at the back, I thought, like... I like him, I hate to say it, Joe Gomez, he doesn't really look like the player he was pre to that big injury that he had. You know, he was kind of knocking in around the English team, getting a lot of caps, not a lot, but getting a few caps for England. Then he doesn't, I know he hasn't been playing a massive amount of games, but he doesn't really like kind of seem to be that same player. Um, Verge, great player, one of the best defenders in the world. Probably not 100% the same as before his injury, but still one of the best defenders in the world could see he's just that small bit slower like that tackle he made the other day jeez if he did get sent off for that you couldn't really oh, act, it was a scandalous tackle it wasn't a scandalous tackle no well no sorry it, it was wasn't a scandalous made. it wasn't a scandalous tackle but if you look at when how far the ball was away from the opposition player when he made contact. Yeah, with but Jack, that takes zero point. I know, I know, I know. Eight of a second to get that far. Like, mm -hmm. that's only a split thing. Like, like that's the, that's the speed of light, how quick that ball moves to there, you know? And, like, you know what I mean? I know you can break it down and slow it down on VAR to zero point zero, however slow you want it. And you can see that the ball is like two foot away when he makes the tackle. But you know, as a defender, that can happen so fast. He didn't go in there dirty. He probably went in hard to win the ball. But look, you can't defend. He did catch him high. He did catch him on the shin. The, your man on the... That Dermot Gallagher was trying to say he caught him low. That's why it's only a yellow card. He didn't catch him on the foot. He caught him on... Yeah, shin. shin full on shin. No, like. it was. And if that was a red card... There couldn't really be any. It's just yeah, yeah. lucky that there wasn't really a bad injury caused by it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, when anyway. you look back on it, in like, I just seen things on Twitter there, and they're going back saying, "Sure, that's a red card." It all comes back to like when the goalie absolutely scissored um, Van Dyke, and that's when he put the ACL, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Pickford that done that in the Pickford. in the Merseyside derby. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get, let's move on. So we're going to wrap up this podcast and we're going to do it with uh, a little segment. We're going to do uh, our players and managers of the month for August. Uh, and we're also going to have over and under achievers now that the transfer window is closed. So that's going to be new players that have signed uh, for a certain club, both over and under achievers. Um, and we're going to start with uh, manager of the month. Drum roll, please. Right, see. Yeah, well, my manager of the month is probably not your manager of the month, but my manager of the month has to go to Mikel Arteta. Explain. He was undefeated for the month, top of the Premier League. That's okay. enough. He lost. They lost to Manchester United the other day in September. He's yeah. undefeated for August. 
Perfect. Perfect. All right. No, I'll take that. I'll take that. As much as I don't like it, I'll take it. And I, I, I respect that decision. Uh, my one is... Graham Potter. I thought you were going to say Eric Ken. <laughs> I, I really wanted that. But them two fucking defeats at the start of the season, just that, uh, you know what I mean? No, oh, Graham Potter. I think I think what he's doing at Brighton is just unbelievable. I mean, they're in Champions League spot. I know it's only six games in, but they're fourth in the table. Uh, four wins, one draw and one defeat. Obviously, look, they bet United as well. I think what he's doing is... Uh, is unreal. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Graham Potter. Right, so moving on to players. So we're going to do uh, player of the month. Drum roll. What I see? I would go with my player of the month. I would go with Alexander Mitrovic. Okay. Okay. Big show. Back it up. Just look, Haaland scored a hat-trick again outside of the month as far as I'm aware. He's the obvious one probably for everybody. But I just think at this point, Fulham had a decent start. Mitrovic is a striker who has an unbelievable record in the past, say, calendar year. You know, he's come up to the Premier League and he has scored goals and bullied some of the best defenders. I just think, look, if he's ever going to get it, it's now, you know. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's a good show. Absolutely. Right. My player. The obvious one. I'm going with Haaland. Yeah. And look, that is the obvious one that. Yeah. I, I don't even need to explain it. You know no, I mean? no, he's no, just, no. He's just, he's just unbelievable. So, yeah. I'm going, I, I was thinking. You know, could I throw a United player in there? But no, I, I mean, you can't. Sure you were, I was full sure you were coming out with Eric Tenhag. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, if 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 the if nah. say the last four games had been in the space of a month, he would have got it off me. Yeah, if your mother, you know what I mean, had a ditch, she'd be your father. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're gonna go with over and underachievers in relation to new signings uh, that have been signed, obviously in this transfer window. So we'll start with over overachievers. Give us your one. Are you kind of going, say, as a team now, or are you going... Whatever you want, whatever you want. Just an overachiever. What we'll do is we'll make it a monthly thing. So we'll give, we'll, let's do an overachiever for the month of, of August. Yeah, well, so it could be anything. It could be a player, it could be a referee, it could be a team, whatever. Okay, well, I think for the overachiever of this month, um, we'll probably go with... Leeds United, just because I thought they were absolutely doomed. Now, they're not setting the world alight by any means or anything, but I thought they were, I thought they were absolutely, like, doomed, you know? And Jesse Marsh has come in. Look, they don't, they've lost. And just, they've won two, drew two, lost two. But I think he was completely written off at the start of the season. I don't think, I think they will be fighting relegation towards the end of the season, but for this start of the season, for this first month, they have really surprised me being in that part. I know you can look at Brighton up there and you can see like Brighton are in top four at the minute, but Brighton have always had a decent spell at some parts of the season, you know? That yeah. season, they started off very well as well. Like, they're eventually going to slip off. I just think, because myself, I had nearly Leeds United written off at the start of the year. I thought they'd be bottom of the table nearly at this time. But, yeah, uh, I had them in relegation, actually, in my, yeah. in my predictions. Yeah. And look, they could easily be there. It's only six games in, but I think for now, I'm not saying I'm even overly impressed by them. I'm saying they're my overachievers for the month of August. Perfect. So my overachievers for the month of August, I think it has to be Arsenal. <laughs> uh, it no look, and I I'm not saying I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way to Arsenal in relation to this. All right, because everyone and their mother at the start of the season said Arsenal are will be in fighting for top four. So for them to be top of the table after six games with only obviously before last night they had an unbeaten record, I think is a massive overachievement given you know I do think they have a good team and I now they have a very young team and I think that in the long run is what's going to you know hamper them 
Yeah. Uh, but I think in relation to the month of August, they're untouchable. And I think that's a massive over. If, if you had have, if you would have had have asked any Arsenal fan, well, no, actually, I won't say that because they're all deluded. But if you had asked Mikel Arteta where you'd be after the first five games of the season, he would have no way said we'd be top of the table unbeaten. So for that reason, um, I'm going Arsenal. So on to the underachievers then. Um, give us your underachiever for the month of August. There's a long list of underachievers here. Like, I'll, like just bear with me for one second. Like you could yeah. say, look, you have Leicester down there. On one point, but in theory, Leicester signed, I think, one player on deadline day. They signed a goalkeeper, a backup goalkeeper from Cardiff early on the season. Leicester are goosed. West Ham, disappointed to see them down there. They'll be disappointed with that too, Seoul Villa. But I think the main two teams you have to look at for underachieving so far, you have to say Liverpool anyway. And I also would say Chelsea. I'd say both of them are on par. Liverpool bought one big player in you know Chelsea are after Chelsea have spent the most money they have ever spent in a single transfer window and Roman Abramovich is gone and yeah they might have got a couple of wins but they were blessed at the weekend to get that win and they're playing real ugly do you know it's like the players they're buying don't even fit their system it's like yeah. it's almost like your man Bowley just wants to prove that he can yeah I think they have to, I think they have a lot of similar players well, like they signed for fan, they signed now for fan is a great player, but they just signed defenders, like and then they were just going for players united to be linked with someone. Suddenly Chelsea are trying to bid for him, you know. You're like, where did they come out of? Do you remember when Jesus was going? They tried to gay crash it at the last minute. Now they brought in Aubameyang. I know they needed a striker, but jeez, uh, they're going to be they're going to have big financial problems in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good shout. Yeah, absolutely. So my underachiever for the month of August is Darwin Nunez. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all laugh at Darwin Nunez. <laughs> so <laughs> he, like, um, look, he, now he, look, I'm, I, I'm going to back this up. He has one goal. I know he hasn't played. There's been six games in the league so far. He's been suspended for three of them and he has one goal. I know. Look, um, he, he, now, he, if we're he talking long term. He's yeah. He still has, he has a lot to, to prove. But he has he he really has to prove his doubters wrong. He came in and he had an unbelievable debut. He done very well in that game in Wembley, and then the first game of the season, I remember talking to you. Remember that ball that was crossed in, and he let it through his legs and back heeled it up high into the net. Like he yeah. had a great. I start. still think he, that took a deflection. He had the Liverpool fans kind of eating out of his hands, you know. And then like I have some some of my best mates are big big Liverpool fans, like one in particular with Liverpool tinted glasses and he was like he's a fucking idiot do you know when he threw that because yeah, ah, yeah. there's no defending it yeah no you, you know? can't and yeah when you're bringing in a, <laughs> and a had... million pound player and everyone is excited about it and then he does that you're like oh, we want to defend you but we can't and he had a little bite at him just before it as well you know he had a little yeah like, but look, it's he has to prove now. He's still only twenty three or something. He's a big lump of a fella. He's just has to come out and prove. And he did show glimpses at the weekend again. That was some effort where it rattled the crossbar from the angle. But he also had a few poor headers. Just has to prove his doubters wrong and keep his head on the ground now, doesn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's it. Happy days. Um, yes. Yeah, happy days. That was a good podcast now. I appreciate it, Gracie. Um, to anyone who's listening, really appreciate it. If you're listening back on it, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, really appreciate it. Please do give us a five-star review uh, and follow us. Turn on the bell notification uh, so you will be notified anytime we have a new podcast up. Uh, we'll be going live myself on YouTube again on Wednesday and then again live watch it on Thursday night for our first please go give us a follow as well but until the next time Bracey appreciate it and thanks to everyone for listening see you soon see you Jack